Judges 3, verses 12 to 31. Let's hear. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, and went and defeated Israel, and took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, eighteen years. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gerah, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. By him the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud, Ehud made himself a dagger. It was double-edged and a cubit in length, and fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. So he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. He said, keep silence. And all who attended him went out went out from him. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. Then Ehud went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. When he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look, and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, he is probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. So they waited till they were embarrassed, and still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore they took the key and opened them, and there was their master fallen dead on the floor. But Ehud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images and escaped to Sirah. And it happened when he arrived that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains, and he led them. Then he said to them, Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And so they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, 
who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. And there is God's holy inerrant word. And may he bless it to us. Well, the pattern is unfolding for us in Israel. The pattern of judges. And while that pattern will be seen again and again, uh, we we may get tired of, of the repetition of Israel's falling into sin, but it's worth noting that this is the grievous cause of all of their problems and troubles uh, and a subjection to the people of Moab in this case. Twice in verse 12, we are told that Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And that evil was expressed in the previous verses and chapters of of Judges thus far. That evil of idolatry, that evil of going to the world, that evil of taking into their own lives and into the midst of Israel the ways of the world and the vain philosophies of the world and the love of, of the pleasures of sin. And Israel kept going in that routine. When I was reading this, one thing came to mind uh, that, uh, you know, I think we can look at Israel and, and have it in our thoughts. Well, I don't know how they could be so stubborn and so beset by those sins. And that was something that hit my mind. And, and as soon as I thought that, I, I thought of, Hebrews chapter 12. And there we're told that that's a constant struggle of the heart, isn't it? The besetting sins. Let us lay aside every weight and the sins which so easily ensnare us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sins. And and I thought, this is Israel, isn't it? But Hebrews 12 is also speaking of the church in, Israel, in, in Jesus' day, in that first century of the apostles and the early stages of the church, the issue of sins that so easily ensnare us and the issue of not resisting unto bloodshed the sins that so easily fall upon our lives. Does that ever creep into your life? I mean, Stop for a moment and think, what are the sins that are so common to my life that I struggle with? And, and how, as those sins so quickly rise up within my life, how uh, am I coming to repentance before the Lord and seeking forgiveness? And, and in my repentance, striving to turn away from those sins. Uh, 
you know, we, we read these accounts of Israel and, and we don't stop to take account in our own lives. I can look back over the past and think of my early years and I think this is why the first commandment that deals with our love for one another speaks to children about honoring their parents because we know the besetting sins of young children in their lives is that submission to authority and that honor of those who are over us. And, and we know growing up in our early years the besetting sins that are upon us are sins of not just obedience but giving honor where honor is due. And, and if we do not learn to honor our parents, that besetting sin translates into dishonor to authority in all other areas. We don't resist unto bloodshed, <laughs> striving against sin. And then you get into those later teenage years and the temptations of the world are great and we lose focus on on that spiritual guidance uh, that is to be part of our lives. And we look at the world and we start to take charge of our lives and drifting from God happens. You know, the besetting sin issue is, is not new. Israel's besetting sin was constantly forgetting their God and turning to the idols of the world in their day, enjoying the pleasures that went along with that. And here, once again, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And we see how quickly we're drawn into Israel's current hard chastisement, 18 years under Eglon, the king of Moab. And they were not easy years. You talk about heavy taxation. They had to bring to him a tribute every year. They were enslaved by him to provide for all of his needs. We don't have what all those particulars are. But there's a whole lot of humiliation that's being exercised against Israel under that chastising hand of God. And what makes this particular servitude so humiliating is, is where it takes place. Now, if you can picture the geography of the land, remember that Israel, when they came into the land of Canaan to possess it as the land of promise, the promise of God that uh, it was a land of milk and honey that would provide for Israel all their days. God would bless them greatly uh, with the, the fruit of the land. And, and what happened was they had to come through the places of, of Moab and Amalek and Amnon and deal with the kings on that side of the Jordan River. And they came to that place where they crossed over the Jordan River and they settled in Gilgal. And you remember there at Gilgal when we did Joshua that they set up that stone uh, of remembrance of God parting the Jordan River and giving them strength. 
strength over their enemies and what was the first city that they conquered and devastated, well, not really they conquered, but the Lord brought down and devastated for them. It was the city of Jericho. Jericho is still in a mess. <laughs> but they set up a, a new city near Jericho and it was called the city of Palms. <laughs> this is Jericho. This is where Joshua and the people of God saw the hand of the Lord taking down their enemies and giving them the land. And you read in verse 19 and those stone images that uh, were at Gilgal. This is also the place where Israel, where they had erected uh, that uh, pillar of stones in remembrance of the presence of God had now become a place where many idols had been erected. It was the place where the tabernacle was first set up within the land of Canaan. And now idolatry filled the area. And, And you consider what makes it even more humiliating is who is doing the suppressing? King Eglon of Moab gathering the Ammonites and the Amalekites. Go back again in Numbers and how Balak, the king of Moab, in that time with Moses, wanted to curse Israel, hired Balaam and said, come and bring curses and call curses down upon uh, Israel so that we can defeat them. And what was the message given to Balaam? You cannot curse those whom I want to bless. And Balaam could not do that. And Balak, if you read in Numbers 22, got really angry with Balaam for that. And Balaam said, look, I cannot curse those whom God is going to bless. But come with me and I'll show you a way that you can defeat them. And that way of Balaam was get them, get the Israelites to come in and see your beautiful daughters and let them marry your daughters and let your men marry their daughters and you will infect them with idolatry and then you can take them over. And you read that in Numbers, I believe it's Numbers 25, where the Lord brought a plague in through Israel in a day killed 30,000 people It was called the sin of Peor. They forgot. They forgot God's hatred of idolatry. They forgot God's hatred of covenant disobedience. They forgot God's command to not be as the world that is around you. The evil they did in the sight of the Lord. And so God brought them into a humiliating state under the hand of King Eglon. And and where God wanted to bless Israel in this land of milk and honey, he now took that blessing away and he gave it to their enemies. Israel was bringing tribute to Eglon. And, And when you read this and you get to verse 29 and it talks about the, the victory that uh, was won through Ehud 
against the 10,000 men of Moab. And you, you read there that slight comment, all stout men of valor. And, and you come back and you read about Eglon in verse 17, uh, that he was a very fat man. The, the implications here is instead of Israel getting fat off the land, their enemies got fat off the land. Well, Israel suffered. It, it's telling us something of the grave hardship that was uh, leveled upon Israel. Eglon is the one who is now called to come and to serve. Sorry, Ehud. Ehud is called to come and bring the tribute of the land to, to Eglon every year. Why did they choose Ehud to do this? Uh, because he had a deformed right hand. He had only one hand that was useful and it was his left hand. And, and it was a time when the right hand was always seen as the arm of strength and power and you did not see many men who could fight left-handed. And so he was the safe man to come and do this. But it was also a humbling thing in that they chose a man who had a deformity and who had the weakness of strength to come and to serve uh, Eglon in the name of Israel. All of this is humiliating. We miss it when we just read over those details without understanding the greater depth of it. We miss how sin actually, as we let it thrive in our lives, how sin actually humiliates us. While we enjoy its pleasures for a season, it's actually degrading our life. Now, one of the things when we come here again to such stories, it, it's hard to see Christ in this uh, particular uh, chapter. It's hard to consider how Christ is revealed to us. And over uh, time, some have allegorized uh, aspects of this particular judge and you know, making the point how uh, a two-edged dagger or sword, uh, you know, refers to God's word or the sword of the spirit, things like that. We're, we're digging deep to try to find out how, how Christ is here. Some moralize it. What, what's the greater message and what is it here that leads us to Christ? Well, if, if you turn to Psalm 106, you will understand it more clearly. Psalm 106 is a psalm that, that uh, talks about the joy and the wonder of God's enduring mercies to his people. Psalm 106 begins with those words of praise and rejoicing in the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Why? Because his mercy his steadfast covenant love and mercy endures forever. And then you, you go from there down to verse 13. And from verse 13 all the way over to verse 43. It shows the contrast of Israel's conduct in sin. And how God continues. Met, met them with mercy. You look at verse 34. 
And it references, Psalm 106, verse 34, references Israel in her time under the judges. They did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord commanded them. They mingled with the Gentiles, learned their way, and served their idols. It became a snare to them. The besetting sin of idolatry. My friends, that is still the issue of God's people today. And you read on and you get to verse 44. And what does it say here? Again, nevertheless, God regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. And for their sake, he remembered his covenant. That's the message. That's the message here that, that meets us with, with Israel's afflictions and sufferings and God's chastising hand upon them. The mercies of the Lord are that which endures forever. And God comes and, and meets Israel with his mercy through one of the weakest men in their midst to show his ability to heal Israel from her stray. Ehud is a very frail deliverer from God. He's not an Othniel. He's not even a Gideon or Jephthah. He's not a Samson. There is no model uh, of, of Othniel at work here. No mention of the spirit. No uniting of the troops before he goes into battle. Why? Because Israel wasn't at a place where they were willing to follow such a man. And so God has to take this very frail man who would become a judge over Israel and, and use him to defeat the king who is oppressing them. And only after that does Israel look at Ehud and say, hey, I guess we can follow this cripple. Isn't that something? And in that, God again was showing Israel that it's not man's power that defeats them. It's not the world that is greater than us. And it's not man's power that delivers. It's God who is with us. And when we fall into those sins where, such that the countenance of God is diminished, it's not the world that's conquering us. <laughs> It's the sins that we give ourselves over to. Why is the church so weak today? And, and, and I think in, in Canada, uh, we would be blind not to realize that the church is weak, marginalized, unnoticed largely by the world. Why? Is it because the world and its ways are so much greater than us? I would say no. It doesn't take that long of a gaze to look at the church in Canada today in general and to see how much she has become like the world in its philosophies, in its views on humanity, and in its worship of God. And what's going to bring life to the world is not us rising up with some great 
prominent people who, who are able to command the attentions of others, what it's going to be are God's people humbling themselves under his mighty hand in repentance, returning to the Lord and to the simplicity of faith, returning to God's word and the power of the Spirit and serving him in holiness. Again, when you look at Ehud, a frail deliverer from God, God uses a whole lot of irony here to stir up Israel's thought. It says there that he's a Benjamite. You see that? Ehud, uh, a Benjamite, verse 15. Why is that ironic? Do you know what Benjamin means? <laughs> means the son of my right hand. <laughs> Irony. He's left-handed. And, and it doesn't tell us exactly why in the English, but if you read the Hebrew, you would understand that uh, his right hand of strength, his right hand was damaged. He was crippled in his right hand. That's why he's left-handed. That's probably why he was chosen to deliver the tribute, because Moab didn't see him as any kind of threat. But again, as I said earlier, but used him to humiliate Israel. He was deemed weak by military standards. And, and when you read verse uh, 15, and it says there, to the last sentence, by him the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. That phrase, by him, uh, it's not translated accurately. It should be translated literally by his hand, by the hand of this crippled man, tribute was sent. And, and this would mean something to Israel more than perhaps it means to us. In that the Lord often spoke of his right hand. Even here to Israel at this time. Israel, when they came out of Egypt. The, the song of Miriam in Exodus 15 was a song that spoke about the deliverance of God. Uh, Exodus 15 verse 6. How with his own right hand, the Lord was glorious in power to dash the enemy in pieces. And Ehud became a symbol to Israel of what their idolatry and sinfulness had done in their relationship with God. Israel's right hand. The Lord himself had become diminished in their midst. And yet the Lord would say to Israel, in Isaiah and in the Psalms, with my right hand, I'm ready to bless you, Israel, with strength and victory. <laughs> Some of us know Psalm 16, verse 11. At his right hand are what? Joys and pleasures forevermore. Israel, church of God, your joy, your pleasures are not in this world. They're at the right hand of God. Again, Israel's trouble wasn't the greatness of the world. It wasn't the kingdoms of men. Israel's constant trouble, and, and it comes out, is that they forgot their God. And in forgetting their God, they exchanged his glory.
for the idolatry of the world. And so God sent a frail deliverer to bring them back. And he brought a message. Here's a message from God. And you see uh, in verse 20, uh, sorry, verse uh, 19 and verse 20, it comes out twice. I have a secret message for you, O king. I have a message from God. And Eglon, you know, people of their day were very keen and, and aware that when somebody came with a message from a deity, a known deity, they would give ear to it to see if it was something where another deity was promising to bless such a man. I think it tells us very clearly that the Lord spoke to Ehud of how he would bring about the death of Eglon and, and communicated to him about making the dagger and strapping it to his right leg uh, and, and uh, coming in into Eglon's own private chamber to to set up the scenario that's before us. But it was a message from God. A message that met the king of Moab and that met Moab themselves, Israel's enemy. God was making a statement to those who would so persecute and so trouble the covenant people whom God loved. And that message uh, comes out again if you were to turn to chapter 5, uh, verse 31 in the Song of Deborah. That message is that the Lord will bring to nothing the enemies of Israel. Let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. God will crush the head of those who would oppress his people. Because God still loves Israel here. <laughs> it can be difficult to love such a disobedient people. Parents understand this when you have multiple children. How some are seemingly easier to love and some are a little more challenging. But we love them. And God, as I mentioned in the morning message, God holds his people as the apple of his eye. Woe to those who would touch the apple of his eye. There was a message from God to Eglon and, and to Eglon's army, and they are brought to nothing. But I think there's a more important message here from God, and it's to Israel. It's to us, the church today, and that is the message of God's faithful, merciful love. God is for you. Can you grasp that? You know, the real enemy here was not Moab. The real enemy was Israel. You become your own worst enemy. Wandering from God and Father who has loved you in sending his son for you. The Lord Jesus who has given himself up to death so that you could be redeemed. I think this again is part of the irony of the message. 
that God was sending to Israel. This left-handed man crushed the king of Moab, the fat man, because the right hand of God had been raised up to deliver them. That's what God did. You think on Christ in this way. You know, Christ perhaps could have done a mighty work from heaven, coming down in a very great and glorious vision before the people, in commanding glory and power that would have subdued the hearts of many people. But he didn't. He came in our humanity. He came into the dirty, messed up affairs and sinfulness of his people to save them. He came and he took that cursed death, not just any death, but the cursed death of the cross. He bore the curse that was against us in our place. Not just to satisfy God's justice. Of course, that, that's there. But he did it because there was no other way to save us. None. He had to endure the turning away of the countenance of God and experiencing the gravity of justice. Hell itself, if you will. And he did it because he loved his people. You see, that's what the message of judges is constantly going to be meeting us. The steadfast love of God. The mercies that endure forever. And they gain the victory. We see a frail deliverer from God and the message of God. In verse 28, we see they gain victory from God. And Ehud, he, he shows a humility and an understanding that he's not the one that's actually delivering Israel from their enemies. The Lord has delivered your enemies into your hand. Again, that issue of the hand keeps coming back, doesn't it? God wants us to see it's not the hand of man, but the hand of the Lord that is gaining the victory here. And it's only at this time that we see that, that Israel has any inclination to follow this judge. Unlike all the others that we're going to read of, that Israel is gathered together first and goes out because a prominent man steps forward who's able to lead them. Israel only follows this weak man because he somehow killed the king. Of Moab. I mean, it comes out in verse 1 of chapter 4 again that Israel is still dealing with besetting sins as a nation. Their hearts are not truly sincere to God. We sang that from Psalm 78. They only follow Ehud because he seems to have the power of God with him. But the tragedy still exists in that their hearts are not devoted to God. They're still, in many ways, enslaved to their sinful nature. And I think that's something to realize 
dear people, for us, sin is not merely an activity. Sin is not merely something that we commit. But it's a condition of the heart. We do not have that power and ability to to break the bondage of sin. Only the Lord can do that. And God again shows to Israel his power to defeat their enemies, his power uh, to lead them to victory. But it is for us again a testimony that it is only with Christ that we have a victory over sin. You know, we can look at Israel here and think that they were very primitive, primitive idol worshipers. And, uh, you know, you look and you think, how can they constantly look to stones and images that they create with their hands and think, here's a God that we can follow. But understand, they were the covenant people whom God loved. And when we look at this, There is that warning that comes and meets us today. My friends, you can be baptized. You can be catechized. You can be a Reformed and Presbyterian in your theology and church life. But you can still find yourself in bondage to sin. Look to your hearts. What are your besetting sins? How are you striving against them? And are you looking to the Lord Jesus, knowing that there you have a deliverer whom the Father has raised you up to free you from sin? And as we read from Psalm 106, as we Sung from Psalm 78, and as we see in our text in verse 15, when Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them. The Lord's desire is to break the bondage of sin in your life. There is no sin that is so mighty that Christ is not able to come and break it within your life. Do you believe that? The reality of repentance is we can ask for forgiveness for a sin and yet not turn away from it. (laughs) And just keep asking for forgiveness but not turning away. The real repentance comes when we cry out to Jesus and we say, Lord, here is this sin in my life. I want to be free of it. Turn me away from it. Come and not only forgive me for it and wash me clean, but turn me away that I may walk in a way of holiness and truth. Free me from it. You know, in Christ, we have such a deliverer who has indeed set us free from the power of sin. We're going to learn anything from these judges I pray it is that reality of what true repentance is. Because the victory that Israel gained here over Moab was not necessarily a victory over sin. They would follow God for 80 years, but as we're going to constantly hear, when the judge dies, Israel returns. 
Thank God we have a deliverer who lives forever. He is in heaven interceding for you that you should be saved to the uttermost. My friends, cry out to Jesus. He will deliver you. Let's pray.